0: In the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Which, uh, along with Raising Arizona, is one of the two greatest comedies of all, kind, all time. Uh, if you don't agree with me, I will fight you about that. Um, in, in the movie, George, George Clooney, along with two other escaped prisoners, wind up eating dinner with one of their hillbilly cousins as they're on the run. And he's telling them his sad sob story about why everything is so bad the cow got anthrax and the crops didn't come in and he's just going on and on about this and finally one of them him, more well, where's where's your wife and he he looks at his young son across the table and he's a little bit uncomfortable discussing this in front of these other men and he he finally says well mrs Hogwallop up and are you n-n-o-f-t you, font she, she run off uh, and, and so then they, they kind of look at him, and George Clooney says, well, she must have been looking for answers. And he says, well, possibly, but good riddance as far as I'm concerned. I do miss her cooking, though. And one of them says, well, this stew's awfully good. And he says, really? I slaughtered this horse last Tuesday. I'm afraid she's starting to turn. So it's, a, it's this humorous scene, more humorous than it is now, but it's this humorous, it's this humorous scene in this movie uh, which is a really funny movie, and and just the way they handle the situation is amusing. But if you're in that kind of situation in real life, where your spouse has run off, there's nothing humorous about it. There's nothing funny about it. It's it's traumatic. Uh, it's damaging to your soul. It's it's life altering. And yet, that's exactly what happens to the prophet Hosea in the text that we're going to read. This morning. And Hosea himself may have been thinking, Good riddance. I, I might miss her cooking, but 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 good riddance. I'm glad she's not going to be here anymore. And in fact, he would have been justified in thinking that. Uh, he would have been justified in thinking that. He wasn't obligated to go get her. Uh, he, he wasn't obligated to take her back. Uh, in fact, he was in a situation in which the New Testament actually says Hosea would have had biblical grounds for divorce. She had actually deserted him. She had had an affair uh, with another man. And yet God tells Hosea, don't, don't do any of that. I want you to go get her and bring her back and love her. Why? Why is Hosea told to do that? Well, at least in part, it's so that you and I get to understand the gospel better. And so that you and I can understand Jesus better who goes after spiritual adulterers and brings us home and redeems us and restores us. So let's read this Hosea chapter 3. I'll read this beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. And the Lord said to me, Go again, Love a woman who is loved by another man as it, and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the gospel that we see here even in the Old Testament pray that you'd help us to to see it clearly how jesus pursues sinners and he even pursues us help us to see that and believe it we pray it in christ's name amen well Hosea knew what he was getting into right um he knew what gomer was like before he married her. he knew she was a promiscuous woman she may have even been a prostitute he knew that when he married her but this is still no less devastating, no less embarrassing when she runs off. I mean, they had, they had had children together, even, and yet she still runs off and abandons him and returns to her promiscuous ways. Why? Why did, why did she do that? We, we, we don't know the specifics, but we know generally she was convinced that whatever life she had here with Hosea, there was something better to be had over here with another man. She was going to find life. She was going to find happiness. She was going to find contentment. She was going to find something that she was looking for over here with this other man. She was chasing after happiness. And we chase after it too. Uh, In 1982, WASN, was an AM radio station in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And they had decided that they were going to change formats from country music to 50s music. Big band and some other 50s kind of music. And so to draw attention to this fact in the days before the internet, they decided to have kind of this absurd contest where they were gonna invite three people to climb up on top of a billboard with a radio station, an advertising radio station. They were gonna climb up on the billboard and they were gonna sit on this billboard and whoever stayed on this billboard the longest was gonna win an $18,000 modular home. Okay, so this is, this is your contest. And so they began to be flooded with entries. Now keep in mind, you, you didn't sign up online. You wrote your entry down on a piece of paper and took it to the radio station and turned it in. The three contestants who made it were Dalton Young, who sent in 1,000 entries, and Ron Kiesler, who sent in 4,000 entries. And then there was Mike McKay, who took a rubber stamp and had it, it said, I need a home. And he stamped that on a piece of paper over and over and over and over again. And then he cut all those out, each one individually, and he signed his name on them. And he took them to the radio station and he turned them in, all 47,000 of them. The first 10 entries they drew were all his. (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. So uh, these guys, they wanted a home. Is what they were chasing after, and they thought the best way for me to get it is to enter this silly contest. The national unemployment rate at the time was the highest it had been since the Great Depression. Interest rates were over twenty percent, and so they saw their shot, and they were going for it. So they climbed up on this billboard to see who would last longest, and it started in September, September of nineteen eighty-two. In November of nineteen eighty-two, this guy named Billy Joel uh, released a song, coincidentally. About uh, called Allentown uh, about how hard things were in Allentown which is where these guys were and so suddenly when there's only three networks and there's no internet everybody is paying attention to these three guys in Allentown, Pennsylvania sitting on top of this billboard in this dumb contest. The radio station thinks it's going to go about a month. Well they made it through the winter. They made it through snowstorms. They made it through blizzards because they were chasing after these homes. In March, Dalton Young, who was known to smoke a little weed on occasion, people would send it up to him. Somebody came by and said, hey, Dalton, can you spare a joint? So he sends one down to them. The guy says, thank you, and sends him $20 up. And when Dalton took the $20, the guy arrested him because he was an undercover cop. And everybody thought this was probably a setup from one of the other two guys' family. So He has to go to court. The other two guys come down off the billboard to testify, and they go back up on the billboard, and they're sitting there again. The radio station at this point is like, this is never going to end. And so finally, in June, after 261 days, the radio station says, okay, you both win. They gave them both a modular home. They gave them both a Chevy Chevette. Um, And they... And they gave them a free vacation. Now here's my, this is my, kind of my favorite, but also the saddest part of the story. Mike, McKay, They kind of became famous during this time. And Mike McKay kind of reveled in this. And he spent the rest of his life trying to kind of hold on to this fame, so much so that when he died, his obituary referred to him by his preferred nickname of Billboard Mike. Okay, the, the, the rest of his life, who he wanted to be known as was Billboard Mike. And you think, oh, that's kind of silly. That's kind of sad at the same time. But that's us in so many ways. Chasing after things that we think will give us life. Chasing after something that we think will give us an identity. Something that I can be known as. Some way that I can feel better about myself and be proud of who I am. But Romans 1 tells us, in fact, though, that, that we chase much, after, much harder after things in the creation than we do after God. In, sec, in fact, it says we prefer to give ourselves over, over to the pursuit of things in the creation rather than pursue after God. Uh, you know, you, you've probably seen when someone's gotten mad at a family member, and maybe you've done this even, uh, there's this picture with everybody in it and there's this one person you can't stand anymore. And you take the scissors and you, you cut them out of the picture. Or maybe now you would photoshop them off of the, the, the digital copy of it. That's what our tendency is to do with God. That we get up in the morning and we look at our day and we say, Hey, God, you, you're just kind of irrelevant to my day. And everything that I've got going on today. And to me getting what I need out of life. And so we go through our days chasing what we think will make us happy, chasing the identities that we think will define us and, and give us joy, when the one who can really give us joy, we've actually cut out of the picture. And this chasing after happiness, it can have several results. One of them is it can lead us just kind of empty and disillusioned if we actually catch the thing we, we were chasing, and we catch it, and then it's like so much sand running through our fingers. It doesn't satisfy us like we thought it would. Uh, Deion Sanders, a former NFL and Major League Baseball player, he's actually the only person to ever play in a Super Bowl and in a World Series. He says that on the night he won his first Super Bowl, he was the first person back on the bus, and he was the first person to go home and go to bed because he won that Super Bowl, and he said, it didn't do anything for me. It's like, I thought it was just going to be this magical experience, and I was completely empty after we won the game. He said he had money and power and sex. All that he wanted. And his life felt completely empty. Chasing after happiness can leave us empty and disillusioned. Chasing after happiness apart from God can leave us enslaved. Which is what happens to Hosea here. Uh, I mean, excuse me, to Gomer here. Hosea has to go in to buy her back. It may be that she had gotten into debt uh, and had to sell herself into slavery, it may be that she'd wound up as a concubine. It may be that she'd wound up as the property of some pimp. We don't really know, but Hosea has to go and buy her back out of her slavery. The things that we chase after becomes the things that control us and enslave us and can even destroy us. Uh, 2006, Tiger Woods won the Buick Invitational. Three months after that, his dad, Earl Woods, passed away. Twenty-five days after that, Tiger Woods started training with the Navy SEALs. Uh, His dad had been a member of the special forces, and one of the Navy SEALs asked Tiger, "Like, why in the world are you doing this?" And Tiger said, "Well, my dad always told me I had two paths to choose from. I was either going to be a professional golfer, or I I was going to be a member of the special forces." The other thing that happened during those months after his dad died was that the affairs that Tiger Woods is known for, and he had multiple, that's either when they started or that's either when they really intensified and became more numerous. Uh, An ESPN writer said this, "'Tiger juggled a harem of women at once looking for something he couldn't find while he made more and more time for his obsession with the military.'" And he didn't just go out and hang out with the Navy SEALs. He went out and punished his body with the Navy SEALs and did the same kind of stuff when he got home. And slowly, as he did these workouts, as he had these affairs, he destroyed his body and he destroyed his marriage. He had false saviors of extramarital affairs. He had false savior of extreme fitness and those forcibly removed his false savior of golf to where he got to the point where he couldn't even play golf anymore but what happened last week like some of you may have been paying attention to this last sunday afternoon tiger woods won a pga tour event for the first time in five years and we were all cheering for him like i got there may be a few people that weren't but like like everybody was my whole family was cheering for him the golf course was crazy We wanted to see him come back and win this event because we love a good redemption story, right? And that's what some of the headlines said even afterwards. Tiger gains redemption in a transcendent victory. You know, in in our cultural lexicon, what do we do when we fail? We redeem ourselves. We, We fall. We get back up. We work hard. We succeed. We win again. And we all love that. Like, we all love watching that. I love watching that. But ask yourself this question. Is winning a, a golf tournament actually going to accomplish redemption? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. It was, it was fun to watch. It's fun to see Tiger back. But is he really going to bring redemption to his life? Is he really going to redeem a broken marriage? Was his ex-wife one of the ones cheering for him that day? I, I, I don't know. Is it going to redeem the way that all of that affected his children? Is, is that going to do the, the trick? See, chasing after happiness leaves us empty. Chasing after happiness apart from God leaves us broken, leaves us enslaved. And then we're told, well, what you got to do is you got to get up and you got to work hard and you got to redeem yourselves. You got to get up and fix it yourself. Chasing after happiness apart from God can also leave us defiant. Um, we, We don't know why Gomer became the type of woman that she did. Maybe she was just always a rebel and was going to go her own path, but maybe she was neglected. Maybe she was sexually abused at a young age. Maybe the ways that she was sinned against actually drove her away from God and not toward God. I have an acquaintance, a woman who was sexually abused as a young girl through high school. She tried to assuage that through multiple hookups with men. Uh, And then eventually she turned to lesbianism and is is very hardened in that lifestyle. And from the way men have treated her, you can kind of understand that, right? Like it, it makes sense how something like that would happen. But what has happened is, in an attempt to cover her pain—at least she legitimately feels—she has run away from God and not toward God. In his book, redeeming or in her book, redeeming love, um, Francine Rivers tells the story of Michael Hosea, who goes and redeems, buys back, pursues Angel, the prostitute. And at one point, she's left him multiple times, and she's left him finally. And she's and she said, "You know what? I'm I'm not going back to prostitution this time. I'm gonna make it on my own." But her attitude is, "I'm gonna make it on my own. I I don't need God. I can do this by myself." And we're like Gomer. We're like Angel. We we cut God out of the picture. We're proud. We're self sufficient. We're vowing to find happiness on our own apart from God. And we wind up disillusioned, defiant, broken, enslaved. Any of these or maybe all of these. And what does God do? God comes after us. God comes after us. God tells Hosea, go again. Again, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man as is and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Now, cakes of raisins is something that may have been used in bell worship in the fertility rites. We don't know for sure, but we think that's what it was. See, God tells Hosea to do exactly the same thing that Jesus will one day do. Hosea does exactly what Jesus will do. He leaves home and he goes after her. Uh, Rich Lambert, who's a friend of mine, tells a story of what he says was his favorite wedding and the most unusual wedding that he ever, he's a minister, that he ever uh, officiated. He said to start with, the wedding was held in an old abandoned church. And that was to picture how our hearts tend to abandon God and he has to bring us back to himself after that the wedding started with no bride there was no bride there was no processional there was no music the groom just walked in and stood at the front of the church and the crowd murmured wondering what in the world was going on and as he stood there rich explained that culturally we're told the wedding day is the bride's day but biblically the wedding day is the groom's day because in the bible jesus runs to collect his bride that's the end of all history that's what we're running to he returns to collect his bride that's the wedding day well finally the groom stand there stands there for a while and then he leaves the front of the church And he goes out the back door, and he goes around the back of the church, and he gets his bride, and he brings her along the side of the church, and they've got an usher running in front of him, and the building had these big old wooden shutters that were closed. And the usher runs in front of them, opening the shutters as they come by around the side of the church, so that more and more light is coming into the church, and you're getting more and more of a glimpse of the bride and the groom, and they come around the church and they come together down to the front of the aisle, and they've timed it so that the congregation is singing as they reach the front of the church. And Rich said it was done that way because that's the way it is. It was done that way because that's the way it is. The bride doesn't come separately. The bride doesn't just show up on her own. Jesus has to go get her. Jesus has to get her and bring her to the front of the church. Jesus arrives at the threshold with the love of his life on his arm because that's the way it is, because that's the gospel. That Jesus goes and rescues his bride. Go, Hosea, love an adulterous woman. Because you're painting a picture of what my son is going to do one day. So Isaiah gets up enough money and food to to, to buy off whoever owns Gomer. He goes and he redeems her. He buys her back and he brings her home. This is exactly what Jesus does. Uh, Johnny Cash sings about it in his song called Redemption. He says... From the hands it came down, from the side it came down, from the feet it came down and ran to the ground. Between heaven and hell a teardrop fell. In the deep crimson dew the tree of life grew and the blood gave life to the branches of the tree. And the blood was the price that set the captives free. And the numbers that came through the fire and the blood clung to the tree and were redeemed by the blood. The Apostle Peter puts it this way, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So Hosea redeems Gomer, he buys her back, and then he brings her home and he restores her. The translation here of verse 3 is a little tricky. But it seems to be be that what it's saying is that he was to bring Gomer home and she was to be removed from all of her promiscuous ways and possibly even she wasn't even to have sexual relations with Hosea for a period of time. And it was to be this refining time when God stripped her idols away and she began to truly love her husband. In the same way, the next verse tells us that, Jesus, excuse me, that Israel was to go into exile and have their idols taken away and even be removed from the place where they worshiped God until the time came when they returned to worship the Lord and the Davidic king when they came in fear to the Lord and to His goodness. Well, who is this Davidic king who ultimately ends the exile? It's Jesus. Mark tells us The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. When God restores his people, he does remove our idols from us. But as Tim Keller puts it, If you uproot an idol in your life and fail to plant the love of Christ in His place, the idol will grow back. See, it's not enough just to have the idol removed. The idol has to be replaced with a vision of the goodness of the King. And our, our prayer really is, our hope is that you see that here each week. That you see the goodness of the King in the songs that we sing. That you see the goodness of the King when we confess our sins, but then we hear these words of forgiveness. That you see the goodness of the King when we preach the gospel. That you see the goodness of the King in baptism. That you see the goodness of the King who gave Himself for us in the Lord's Supper. Let me say just a, just a few points of kind of application as we wrap this up. Number one. Jesus is the lover that you and I need. Jesus is the lover that you and I need. Jesus doesn't say to us, perform for me and I might stick around. No, you and I are the ones who have R-U-N-N-O-F-T. We have run off. And Jesus has come after us. And he comes after us over and over and over and over and over and over again. None of your other lovers are going to do that for him. Secondly, if the gospel's for Gomer, then the gospel is for you. And the gospel is for me. You know, maybe you're here today and the, the ways you've been sinned against make you feel like there's no way that God could love you. You you feel dirty, you feel defiled, you feel unclean and unwelcome. The gospel is the good news that there is one who can take away. Your shame, and bring you joy, and enable you to trust and love again. That will enable you again to, as Adam and Eve were, to be naked and unashamed. That you don't have to cover yourself any longer. Maybe there's ways you've sinned against others, and you think there's no way that God could forgive me. There's no way that God could welcome me. The gospel is good news for people who have misused power and wealth. sexuality you are are not too far gone to know the love and the welcome and the restoration of Jesus Christ thirdly the gospel isn't just for non-Christians the gospel is for Christians Jesus doesn't leave you when you wander away as we all do he comes after you and me again and again and again and again. And then finally, just as Hosea went after Gomer, just as Jesus came after you, God calls us to go after others. I was reading a blog post by Scott Sauls this week, and he said they were in a meeting for prayer with some friends one night, and these friends had invited a husband and wife that they had never met before. And the man's name, he said, was Matthew, and Matthew showed up drunk. And his wife had this, please help me, look in her eyes as they showed up. And they prayed together. The whole group, it's like a community group, praying together. And, And Matthew shows up drunk for your community group. And so they're praying, and Matthew decides to pray. And he prayed, God protect us from the Klingons. God, I really want a jolly rancher right now. Will you bring us some jolly ranchers? God, please move my bananas to the doghouse. And Scott Saul said after he finished praying, everybody looked at him because he was the pastor. Like, what are you going to do with this preacher? And he says, thankfully, I didn't need to do anything because a woman from the group full of love and wisdom offered Matthew a cookie. As the woman was giving him a cookie and entertaining conversation about Klingons and such, five or six others went over to his wife and begged for insight on how they could help the situation. This little interaction, this way of responding with love and no condemnation first, became one of the most transformative experiences I have ever witnessed. The kind-hearted offer of a cookie led to a different kind of mob, A mob of grace coming around the couple and their two young boys, which led to a month of rehab, which led to sobriety, which led to a restored home and a marriage, which led to Matthew becoming a follower of Jesus, which led to him later becoming an elder in the church. Grace comes before ethics. No condemnation comes before the morality discussion. Kindness leads to repentance. Love creates the most life-giving experience you'll ever be part of. I heard a friend say that when he was in seminary, his Old Testament professor challenged him before they left school. I think he was in Orlando. They said, I want you to go down to the red light district and find a prostitute and pay her, but don't have sex with her. Just sit with her and talk to her and listen to her. And let her know that somebody values her for something other than just what she has to offer through her body. And he says he never did that, but he always regretted not going and doing that. He always wished he had. Because what that professor was saying was like, they need to see the love of Jesus Christ demonstrated tangibly. They don't need any more condemnation. You understand that you're an adulteress? Do you understand that Jesus has come after you and he continues to come after you? The more we understand that, the more we'll quit hiding behind our comfort and our morality and our fear of the awkward and we'll go. We'll go after others. Would you go? Let me pray. Father, thank you that you love us and you loved us when we were unlovable that jesus didn't give his life for righteous people but he gave his life for sinners and he pursued us and he keeps coming after us jesus thank you for your dogged love and pursuit of our hearts we pray that we would learn to turn from our idols and see that they offer us nothing in comparison to what you do And as we get that better, would you help us to love the people around us who are chasing hard after idols themselves, idols that won't satisfy them and won't save them. Would you help us to get over ourselves and over our fears and love them and point them to Jesus. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.